Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. My name is Kristen Harcourt. I'm an executive coach and professional speaker. I created this podcast to talk to progressive CEOs, strategic HR leaders, and forward-thinking experts who are passionate about leadership and creating positive workplaces. I am super excited, as I always am, because I've chosen these people to be on this podcast because they're amazing. And today's guest is Orlando Bowen. Orlando is a keynote speaker, and he's also the executive director of One Voice, One Team. Great to see you today, Orlando. Great to see you, Kristen. Excited to be here. Awesome, awesome. So let's get right into it. Um, Orlando, when you hear inspirational leadership, what does that mean to you? <clears throat> I, when I hear inspirational leadership, I think about... Um, Leadership that goes without saying. Um, I think of folks who, by their actions, uh, you, get an, uh, you get a snapshot of what the aspirational goals of the organization or the company is. So, you know, I, sometimes when, um, you know, companies or organizations launch new initiatives and they're like, okay, these are our goals and this is how we want to, you know, come across uh, to our to our, our clients and those whom we serve, uh, we want to demonstrate these things. And I always say, if you can point to someone who embodies that which we aspire to, then that is the most powerful type of way to lead and uh, to have inspirational impact. Mm, beautiful. And so that makes me think for you, um, Orlando, who, who have been some of those people in your life that were really mentors and they embodied those types of leadership characteristics? Mm -hmm. There have been a, a number over the years. I've had some amazing um, coaches, amazing uh, teammates, colleagues that have uh, consistently gone above and beyond what it means to show up as a teammate. Um, but I think ultimately it, it's that modeling started at home for me with my parents and, um, you know, my mom working full, full time, 40 hours a week while studying nursing as a full time student, my dad working uh, three jobs uh, Monday through Friday and driving a, a taxi on, you know, um, on the weekends just to try to give opportunities. Right. So I think about um, those individuals. Um, you know, I've got some, some folks who are in the speaking space who also share, they're also giving, right? So willing to go out and serve and, and business leaders whom we've, we've worked with and come across over the years. So there, there have been a number of folks, my parents being um, the ones that I think they set the tone. And then I've had some amazing coaches and colleagues along the way as well. Yeah, that's fantastic because if you think about your parents, they're modeling it when you're young and as you're growing up and you spend so much time around your family. I always say your family and your teachers can have such an impact because as a little kid, that's who you're watching and you're seeing all the time. And um, I say to so many people, um, listen, don't keep telling them what to do. Show them what to do because they're watching you and actions always speak way louder than any words ever can. 100%. 100%. And you, you brought up teachers too, right? And I've had some very um, transformative uh, educators who they, they planted seeds, right? They said certain things and it didn't often resonate in the moment. Um, you know, we're, we're into 2020 now. And we're 
we're talking about that. I often say that that 2020 happens in hindsight. Um, as you reflect on some of the, the, the gems that have been poured in over the years. So um, thank you for, for bringing that, that aspect up. Yeah, some of those teachers, I'll never forget Madame Farage. If you somehow hear this, my grade two teacher, she left such a lasting impact on me. And she really was because I really felt like she believed in me and she showed me things in myself that I couldn't see. And those individuals, they're sometimes those guiding lights that, um, that really show, show you things that you might not have seen. So I'm curious, Orlando, when you think about One Voice, One Team, what made you decide to start that organization? Yeah, so well, we, we started it uh, as, um, you know, I, uh, I, I grew up in the Toronto area. I went to university just outside of Chicago, Illinois. And, um, you know, there were some challenging, challenging things that, that I bore witness to when I was growing up. And, and also when I went away to university, seeing some things happen in community, um, I actually, I, I started working, when I graduated university, I started working as an IT consultant and was really just like, okay, you know, I could, I've arrived, you know, I could do something. I'm, I'm in the corporate world, I'm doing my thing. And then I just, I felt like there was something missing. And, you know, it was this, thought of serving with what we have, right? My, my parents and grandparents always talked about, you know, being your best and raising the bar, raising the bar so that people um, can see what's possible, but then also raising the floor so that more people could reach the bar. And, and I felt like I, even though I was doing positive things, I felt like I needed to do more things connected to raising the floor. And um, so that was the impetus, uh, you know, and, and seeing young people who just, didn't believe that they have gifts and talents uh, and they would act in alignment with that belief um, that was upsetting at times and uh, but eventually galvanizing it and as you know we said we have to do something about it and uh, you know I got involved in a lot of different service activities I was working with police services training police and racial sensitivity I was doing work with sick kids homeless youth refugee families just trying to figure out how I could best serve and um, uh, it, it ended up that the calling was, uh, you know, to equip and empower young people. And we've done that through One Voice, One Team, Youth Leadership Organization. Wow. And I love how you kind of, yeah, you know, I did this and this and this. Like, it's your soul. You, you, you're, you have so much beautiful humility. I, I love that. That's one of the things I really, really appreciate about you. Uh, and, and a reminder to all the guests, like we all have an opportunity and everyone listening right now to be of service and figure out uh, what's that thing that you feel passionate about. Because I love what you said there, because 
sometimes you experiment with one and it just doesn't feel as, as um, just doesn't connect as well, right? So it's experimenting and trying different ones. And then you feel something where, you know what, there's a spark in you and it just feels aligned. Yeah. So I love that you have mentioned that because I think sometimes with volunteer work and when people are wanting to give back in that way, maybe they try one thing and it just doesn't really align for them. And then they just think, oh, I'm not going to do any of this serving or get involved in these kind of organizations we'll try another one sometimes yeah. it's two or three before you find what's really right for you absolutely absolutely and i always encourage people to give fully of themselves like so you want to give every opportunity it's it's chance so when you when you go in to serve serve with all of you right don't serve thinking oh, i don't know if i should be doing this just serve and um and and some of the things that some of the activities or tasks that you'll be involved in, maybe they won't resonate with you, um, but that's good to know as well, right? Because that helps you chart the path going forward in terms of doing things that, that feed your spirit, but also make a difference. Yes, yes, it's like the breadcrumbs. Keep following the breadcrumbs. They lead, they lead somewhere. Um, so what, are some, what have been some of the results that you've seen with this work that you've done with, um, with One Voice, One Team? Well, the, you know, there's there's been a lot of, um, uh, especially as of late, we've been doing the work now for over 10 years, uh, close to 15 years. Wow. Um, as you know, I speak corporately, and and uh, the corporate work that we do helps to support the, the work of the charity. Um, so we actually have some of our corporate partners that sponsor kids to go to camp or you know, sponsor programs or assemblies at schools, but they also come out and they build houses with us and, and the young people. So not only do we talk about making a difference, um, talk about the possibilities, we also take young people out and I, we have an amazing team and uh, they, they build houses through one of our partners, Habitat for Humanity. They feed homeless, they, do, they plant trees, they work with refugee families so that the young people start to see themselves in positions of contribution and, and leadership. So it's, uh, it's been extremely powerful. We had um, a situation with uh, um, a young lady, they couldn't get her to, to you know, go to school. Um, so um, you know, they tried a number of different tactics. They sent in family services, it didn't work. So, but the principal came up with this idea. He knew that she loved to wear hoodies, sweatshirt hoodies. And uh, so he, one day when One Voice, One Team was going to be at her school, he said, you know, I'd like you to come in. I've got a hoodie for you. All I need you to do is sit through this assembly. At the end of the assembly, you know, no questions asked. I've got a hoodie for you. So she sat through the assembly. Um, you know, we poured out about giving back and about making a difference and about the possibility to join the movement which meant that um, joining the movement would mean that they would go out and serve with us and plant trees and make a difference. And the young lady put her hand up to join the movement. And at the end of the, at the, end of the assembly, she went, she got her sweatshirt. And um, again, she hadn't been in school for a few weeks at that time. She had been there a few days that entire semester. Um, but the next day she came to school in a hoodie and then the day after that, she came to school in the hoodie. And the day after that, which was a Friday, she came to school in the hoodie. And so the principal called her in and said, you know what? 
I've got a few more hoodies for you. So I gave her three more. <laughs> and, um, so that was uh, two years ago. Uh, she hasn't missed a day of school since. And um, she hasn't missed a service opportunity since. Mm. And she just um, won the award for the highest mark in geography, the highest mark in history, and the principal's award. And, and her mom and the young lady and the principal are just talking about the impact that perspective can have on a young person and the people around because of her whole friend circle and in terms of how they think and their family in terms of thinking what's possible for her has shifted. Uh, so it's been, you know, that's one example of, you know, someone who has really taken it and, um, you know, uh, is living it out. Right? Wow. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot, a lot of fun. And there are many stories like that. Not that we say that this is what's going to happen, yes. but it, it, it happens. Wow. That's incredible. What an amazing story. Um, I'm, I'm curious when we, we talk about some of the things that you talk in your keynotes around yeah. forgiveness and resilience yeah. and, yeah. and, and, and teamwork. Um, talk to me a little bit about forgiveness. What, what, what have you experienced on your journey that has led you to speak a lot about this in keynotes? Sorry, I think I, I, think I might have got there. Yeah, I got a little cut off there. So <laughs> tell me a little bit around your journey of, of forgiveness and, and how yeah. you've become passionate about this, this mission through, through your keynoting. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I've always been, you know, raised to serve, right? To give back. You do what you can and you make a difference. Um, and I've also always wanted to be a a dad that, you know, and a dad that was present, you know, you and I, before uh, the, the podcast, were talking about our, our families and kids and such. And that's a real passion place for me um, because I recognize the sacrifices of those who have gone before us. Right. So I've always, you know, since I, I, um, I had an opportunity, I did a, a, an undergrad in marketing, a master's in IT, started working as an IT consultant, um, but wanted to give back and serve. And, and started doing that. And professional football gave me that opportunity. So I was, you know, playing linebacker in the Canadian Football League and, you know, passionately going out and doing my thing that way on the football field, um, which gave me opportunities to go into community and serve. And I mentioned some of the folks whom I was working with before, police services, uh, community organizations, young people, sick youth, home, you know, homeless, um, uh, families in crisis, families transitioning to the country, and, you know, just trying to figure out where I could add the most value. And uh, so I was doing that while playing and, you know, was going into my uh, fifth year as a, as a pro athlete and signed a, a contract extension. Uh, and we had a one-year-old at the time, you, uh, Dante. And I remember... Um, so as you know, football is a very physical sport, yeah. right? Uh, that's an understatement. It's a very physical sport. And, and I often ask, like, you know when you do something one day, something very physical, and the next day you're really sore? Yeah. So it was, you know, I had that feeling of being really sore was like every day after a game, right? Uh, and I remember, um, you know, I, I had a strategy by which I kind of checked to see what was hurting or not. I'd step out of bed, I'd put an arm down, put a leg down and, and test them out type thing. And I remember my back seizing up and my wife looking at me saying, how much longer 
are you going to put your body through this? And I remember looking at, at our son, Dante, who was in the crib, and I said, when that young man is old enough to be sitting in the stands at a game and point out onto the field and say, that's my dad, then I'm good. That would be, <laughs> be bigger than any championship for me. Right? And I was excited about that as a possibility. So I signed a contract extension that was bringing me closer to that as a reality. Um, my wife was pregnant with our second son. And I went out to celebrate the signing of that contract. I get, I get to the place where I'm meeting up with my teammates. Um, I'm waiting on them to arrive and have, you know, two guys approach me. And, you know, one guy says, hey, man, you got any drugs? And I'm looking at them, you know, I said, no. I go back, I was actually on the phone at the time, so I go back to my phone call, and one of the guys stopped by my vehicle. The other guy kept walking. The guy that stopped says, are you sure? Are you sure you don't have anything? And I looked at him, and I was about to answer him, Kristen, but then I was thinking, when I first looked over, I saw two guys. So now I'm thinking, well, where's the other guy? And when I looked, he was standing in my blind spot. So I took a step back so I could see them both, and I said, what's going on? And long story short, they were both armed with guns. They grabbed me. They started to beat me and beat me and beat me till the skin on my head split. And um, yeah, it was crazy. I remember laying on the pavement and I could feel the blood running out of my body. And all I could think was, I can't believe I'm going to die like this. Uh, there are all these things that I was supposed to do. You know, and, and I, you know, I didn't even teach Dante how to tie his laces yet. And you know, there's all these things that in my mind as a, as a, as a father, as a husband, as a community um, advocate, I wanted to do. And I felt like all of those things were going to die with me that night. Um, it turned out that the two gentlemen were two corrupt undercover police officers who happened to work for um, the police force that I worked closely with. I was their spokesperson. I did a lot of work in the community with them. Um, and I worked with, and I still work with a lot of amazing officers who risk their lives every day for community. So I knew, um, once they realized that I was that guy, I was their face in the community, I knew that someone was going to say, Hey, you know what? We made a mistake. Um, but that's not what happened. Instead, uh, these two, uh, gentlemen tried to cover it up. So they took me to jail. And while I was in the jail cell, they went back to the scene where my car was planted drugs at my car and then charged me with possession of a uh, controlled substance and assault police. So the, my physical assault resulted in a severe concussion and I wasn't able to return to the field. I couldn't pass my physicals. Um, but the bigger challenge were the charges um, because I couldn't, like, there are so many things I, I was, even places that I was serving that reached out and they said, hey, um, we heard about what you're going through. We wish you all the best, but please, you know, you can't come back here because we can't have people like you talking to our staff or talking to young people. So it was a real challenge. You know, we had to, you know, going through the court process. And I remember distinctly sitting in a courtroom and I read what they said they were going to say, but I kept saying to myself and to our lawyer, I'm like, they're not going to say that because that's not what happened. Right? They're not going to, they're not going to take an oath. Don't they have to take an oath? They're not going to take an oath and then say that because that's not what happened. So I sat there and I remember one of the officers taking the oath and he looked at the judge and he looks at me and looks back at the judge. He says, your honor, he's six foot two, 235 pounds. And he's actually trained to hurt people in my 17 years on this force. I've never been in such fear for my life or my partner's life. And then he looked at me and he started to smile. 
and I was so like, I could, I just, I couldn't believe that someone could do that to somebody else. And then uh, these words that my grandparents used to always say came to mind like this. It was hurt people, hurt other people. And all of a sudden, I felt this huge, like, I just felt so sorry for him. Because I was thinking, what kind of pain must he have been through to allow him the capacity to do that to another human being, especially when he knows the truth? And so in that moment, um, you know, I started to do for him what our grandparents used to do for us, what our parents used to do in times of stress and need. I started to pray for him. And I know people do different things when they're seeking energy from the universe or a higher power. Our family prayed. So I, you know, I started praying for him to, to get the healing that he needed and for the truth to come up. And we got about six weeks before the verdict and I got a call um, from a reporter um, saying, this is insane. You know, the arresting officer in your case was just himself arrested by the equivalent of the FBI, uh, by the RCMP uh, um, for trafficking cocaine. They found 17 kilos of cocaine at his house. They're probably going to call you soon. So I get off the phone with the reporter and the prosecuting attorney, the one that's trying to convict me and send me to prison, calls and says, hey, listen, um, you do such amazing things in the community. Everybody knows that, right? So we don't want you to have to go through all this court stuff. Why don't you just let us drop the charges? Everyone could just go home and be happy. So I said, absolutely not. I said, I actually, you know, I'd rather be wrongfully convicted on that premise, right? So, um, you know, I, I guess I'll see you in court. And she said, this was your chance. You're going down, buddy. And she hung up, she hung up the phone. And the next call we got was to show up in court because that was their other option. The judge could let them drop the charge because I, I wouldn't. Uh, so we show up. The judge says, no, I won't let you drop the charge. And further to that, I find Mr. Bowen not guilty. These are the reasons why. So I was acquitted on that day. And uh, then we filed a civil lawsuit. So it took about five and a half years for everything, that process. But during that process, early in it for me was, you know, just this understanding that hurt people hurt other people. And there's, you know, for me to stay stuck in the moment, in the trauma, in what I lost in terms of my career would not allow me to be present for Dante, our eldest son, for Justice, who, who got his name through this process, and, and, and you know, for my wife, and, and subsequently for our son, Marcus. So for me, you know, I've, I was grateful that I'm alive, right? Still very grateful to be alive, to be able to be a dad, to be able to serve, to be able to make a difference. So I wrote a letter of forgiveness um, to the officers um, during this process. And, and in it, I thank them for the perspective that I gained. And, um, you know, I also wanted them to know that, you know, it may sound strange, but we're actually on the same team in terms of trying to make a difference and trying to make the communities better and, and trying to bring people together, police, community, everywhere, all one. Um, so I wanted to be clear about that. So I, I, you know, I wrote a letter just getting all those thoughts out and, um, I, I brought it home and I read it to my wife and she was like, Oh, you wrote that? I said, yeah. And she said, I would write a letter too, but it wouldn't sound like this one. Right. And, um, you know, so when she said that, I, I actually, I closed the letter up. I put it in a box and I didn't, cause I thought if she doesn't understand, who's going to possibly understand 
where I'm coming from and why I would feel the way that I feel, right? So I didn't tell anyone for like over a year and, and until I was sharing with someone um, the forgiveness and read it to them, one of our colleagues, one of our staff members actually, and she was like, oh my gosh, you, you wrote this? Who knows about this? You need to let people, like people are holding on to things, man. Like people aren't talking to people because of something that was said years ago, man. You need to let people know that, that they could go through things and be better because of it and, and grow through it and help others through the process. So um, the officer that was convicted was sentenced to go to prison for five years, eight months. Um, you know, and, and for me, that was heartbreaking too because it was taking a dad out of his home. And, and that challenges all of us in community. And uh, so all those types of things um, are the things why I, you know, I'm so passionate about the work that we do when we speak, when I speak corporately, or when our charity is able to go in and empower and equip young people. So. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Orlando, for, for sharing so authentically and honestly and, and transparently a, a, a beautiful while hard story. And I think it's in so much service for anybody listening right now because everyone that's listening can connect in some way to a time where they felt somebody did something to them that they didn't deserve. And when they're holding on to that energy, just like you said, right? It's not allowing them to move on in their life. It's taking, mm -hmm. it's taking up space. It's taking up energy. So I, I, I say that all the time. The forgiveness is not for the other person. The no, forgiveness is for you. Absolutely. Um, and you're, this is an amazing story of something that's powerfully difficult to be able to do forgiveness. So if people yeah. can even think about smaller ways, and I, yeah. I think it's such a great example also to connect it to what happens in workplaces all day long, right? Yeah. Leaders have a choice around yeah. how you're going to show up. Yeah. You don't need to operate from ego. You can operate from love. You can bring yeah. in your head and your hearts. Yeah. And um, I spend so much time talking about emotional intelligence. And I mean, yeah. you're the poster child for emotional intelligence there and resilience, right? It's a, yeah. we, can, we can work with our emotions, work through them and make different choices. Yes. Yeah, I think you said it so powerfully, right? Because at the end of the day, we, regardless of what happens to us, um, how we process those things are so important, right? And, and then that's the first step, how we process or internalize or think about the things that happen. But then you have a choice, like you just talked about. Leaders have a choice in terms of how they choose to show up in light of the circumstances. And, and again, the way they show up um, can be that example for others, yeah. right? In, in turn, and, but it's a, and it's a learning too, right? Like you're not always gonna be like, okay, all right, this thing happened and I'm, I'm ready now, you know? Like there's times that are hard, right? There are times for us as a family where, you know, I, I remember sitting on the couch and, um, you know, while we were going through the whole court thing and I couldn't work, uh, I, it was very difficult to find a job. And my wife was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna watch a little bit more TV. And um, she's like, okay, I'm gonna go up to bed. And as she left, I remember I'm grabbing a sweatshirt, like a pillow. I remember grabbing a pillow and I was just like, oh! <laughs> I just screamed into it because I didn't know what was gonna happen next. Yeah. Like, I didn't know what life had in store next. And I felt like I wasn't in, like, I felt like I had zero control, 
And, and, you know, that was a challenging place to be. I knew that all I had control over was how I thought about things and the next action that I, that I chose to, to take in terms of how I was going to show up. But sometimes life is like that, right? So, you know, it's not, it's not rosy. It's not always easy, but um, we have gifts to bring to the table. And sometimes those gifts come through some of life's most challenging moments. Yeah. And I I think that's such a great example of reminding uh, everyone around self-compassion, right? We're not going to ever be conscious a hundred percent of the time, right? We're not, I I mean, there's apparently some people who are enlightened human beings somewhere in the world that might be able to be a hundred percent, but most of us, we're perfectly imperfect. And, and, and I also love what you just said there is, um, giving space to process the emotions, it would not be normal if you didn't have that there and needed to like yell into the sweatshirt. That's perfectly healthy. That's perfectly yeah. normal. Yeah. So to be able to have that space and to be able to understand that there's going to be some days that you show up as the best version of yourself. There's going to be some days where you didn't necessarily do as well, but it's what you learn, what you learn yes. through the process. Yeah, absolutely. Ah. Orlando, we could talk all day and I'm like this with all my guests because you're fantastic and phenomenal and um, just such an amazing human being. Um, Just as we close off uh, today's episode, any final words that you'd want to leave with our audience? Yeah, I mean, I I think about the the power in how we decide to show up Um, and, and, you know, giving yourselves space to not be perfect right like if but if you're if you do your best with what you have right even when you're not feeling your best but you're still going to give your best um that's okay right like you know because it's a it's a journey and and if we and sometimes things don't make moment sorry sometimes things don't make sense in the moment this whole notion around 2020 vision um for some of the things that i've realized the crystallization of those understandings happened well after the thing and when i was in it i was just like what the heck is going on right now like this makes absolutely no sense i'm the spokesperson here right how is this happening so so it's okay sometimes when things don't make sense right and don't beat yourself up or spend a whole lot of time like i gotta figure this out Sometimes it just, in a moment, the dots won't connect, but in hindsight, they will. So keep going and giving everything that you have. Surround yourself with amazing people like the one and only Kristen Harcourt. <laughs> and, and others, no, for real, though, that will encourage you, who will is inspire you, and will equip you with tools in your toolkit so that you're ready for life's challenges, or as ready as we can be. And I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing for this opportunity to serve alongside you. Oh, thank you so much, Orlando. My heart is very full right now. And um, such a great reminder, you know, who are you spending time with? And if you're not spending time with people who are empowering you, you have an opportunity. Again, it's a choice moment to surround yourself with different people. If you're in a workplace that's not, that's not positive and it's been like that for a long time, maybe it's time to change to another culture. And I, I know people say sometimes, yeah, well, I have to pay the bills, all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, there's a lot of possibilities. Sometimes we just have to expand, right? Mm-hmm. So the more you can expand and surround yourself with other people who might also give you ideas and, and new opportunities and new options. Yes, beautiful. 
Thank you so much for being here, Orlando. Wishing you an amazing 2020. Let's go. We're in it together. <laughs>